You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. How about your pastor here, huh? John and Ann Holler are also my pastors. But I also have the great privilege and blessing of being their son and being able to call them mom and dad. And I'm grateful. The older I get, the more I realize just how special my upbringing was and continues to be uh, the quality of parents that my God gave me is astounding to me and uh, I just thank God I can I can tell you straight up they live what they preach all right and uh, I'm grateful to God to have parents who didn't just talk the talk they walk the walk and uh, so why don't you give God a great hand for your pastors here today and thank God and don't and let me remind you don't take that for granted never take it for granted the, uh, the, the level of teaching that comes out of this ministry and the revelation is, is extraordinary. And, um, and uh, so I just, I just want to just remind you today that you have it really good. I, I get to listen to my dad on podcasts. So I listen to your services, uh, but you get to have him live every week. So that's really cool. Also, I want to say what a great job with the worship team today. Casey and Paris, that was fantastic. Fantastic. You know what I love about these guys? It's so easy to enter in and worship. I've been to churches where you have to overlook what's going on with the music and press in anyway, right? Like, oh, okay. But they just make it so easy and have hearts for God and to bring people into an experience with God. And I thank you guys for that. Thank you for your heart and your excellence in what you bring. You're a great blessing. Praise God. So it's good to be in Durant. You know, Mom was talking about the day I was called to preach. It was May 30th, 1982. And uh, I was just a few, couple of months away from turning 11. And I, that day I got called to preach. I, all I knew was that I knew I was supposed to preach. I didn't know what else it meant. I mean, good Lord. <laughs> I, I certainly didn't see that God would someday take me all the way over to Durant from Thackerville. <laughs> That's incredible. I didn't know the calling reached that far, but uh, I'm blessed to be here today at the river, and uh, I, I believe that God has great things in store for this church. Um, I, I want to just offer a challenge to you today as, a, as the people of this house, those who are called to this house, that are planted here. Um, I asked Israel how much was the, is the expense for the septic system. And he said $6,000. So One Cause Church is going to put up half of that. Okay? So we're going to give $3,000. And now all you got to do is the other half. Huh? All right. I think you guys can get it done. Maybe we could just take up an offering right now, huh? I tell you what, we'll wait. But give you a few minutes to... to 
remember how to spell thousand. It's T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D. All right, anyway, but, but if you, please, if, the, if you're moved on by the Lord right now, let's just get this thing done. I mean, 3,000 bucks among this many people, that's nothing. All right? And if it is something, God will reward you. Right? Give, give, you know, I heard, years ago I was challenged by this man by the name of Wayne Myers. Who, when I was a student at Christ for the Nations years ago, he, he would come there and he would challenge us to give. And I mean, like give, he says that if, if it doesn't cost you anything, then it's not a sacrificial gift. And he said, you need to give where it costs you something. And as a 19-year-old kid who didn't have anything at the time, uh, I, I thought, well, I don't have anything to give, except I got this hat that I love. And I had this hat that, it, that had on it the, uh, the logo for a truck company, a milk truck company that my grandpa drove for called AMPI, American Milk Producers. Y'all familiar with that? AMPI is what we called it. And I had a hat, and I always thought about my grandpa when I wore that hat. And that was really at school, that was about the biggest thing of value that I had that really meant something to me. And as Wayne Myers is challenging the student body, give something that means something to you. If it doesn't cost you anything, it's not a sacrifice. And the first thing I thought of was that hat. I'm like, no, Jesus, I ain't giving that hat away. You can have, any, you can have all my shoes. I'll walk around barefoot, but I don't want to give up that hat. And, and, and I remembered a guy, another student that was on campus who had actually worked for that company. And every time he'd see me, he'd say, boy, I sure do like that hat. And I knew I had to give it to him. So I went back to my room and I grabbed my hat. I cried for a little bit. <laughs> and I found, found that young man and I gave it to him. And then he started wearing it around campus. And, and, uh, and I, you know, it, it hurt and then it felt good at the same time. You know, I guess kind of like giving birth. I don't know anything about that, but I'm just saying... <laughs> There's all that pain, all that pain, all of a sudden, yeah, there's a baby, yeah, and all this joy comes. It's kind of like that. I don't know, maybe a month, a month or two went by, a month or two went by, and, and one day I walked into school, and back then we had to clock in with these time cards to log in our time at the school, and when I walked up to my, my time card, there was something attached to it, and so I walked over to it, and it was a it was a uh, paper clip with a receipt. And so I took that paper clip off and looked at the receipt. And at that point, I had owed a little over $1,000 on my school bill. I had about that much left. And it said, school bill paid off, paid in full. Wow. To this day, I have no clue who did that. But I found out something. Sacrificial giving pays off. Literally, <laughs> paid off my school bill. I mean, it pays. And so I just want to encourage you in that. You will never, you, you will never ever be able to outgive God. But you might as well go on adventure trying. <laughs> and just watch. The more you get involved, the more he will show you his goodness, his kindness, and his provision. Amen. He's a good, good father. Let's go to the book of First. Samuel today, I want to talk to you about remembering the big picture. To remember the big picture. And Casey, thank you so much for bringing this water. I don't know what I would have done without you making sure that this water was at the pulpit, but thank you. Well, little Johnny had moved to a new school. And 
So he had to have a meeting with the school secretary, and so she was asking him questions. Johnny, what is your father's occupation? And Johnny said, oh, my dad's a magician. And she said, oh, well, that's very interesting. Well, what's your dad's favorite trick? And he said, he saws people in half. And uh, she said, oh, well, that's very interesting. Okay, next question. Do you have any brothers or sisters? He said, I got one half-brother and two half-sisters. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. I preach better than I tell jokes, I promise. Okay. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 10. I'm going to be reading from... The Toys R Us version of the Bible, as my dad calls it, the New King James Version. Anything other than King James, he says, is Toys R Us. So, so let's go to Toys R Us together, the New King James in verse 10. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. The king of, Saul, the king of Israel, King Saul, the first king to reign in Israel, has displeased God, so much so that God rejected him as king and gave Samuel the prophet the instructions to go to this man Jesse's house to anoint one of his sons to be king. Jesse brings out seven out of eight of his sons to stand before the prophet of God. He puts his strongest, his oldest, who's already been a tried and true warrior in battle, named Eliab strapping, handsome, strong, and yet Saul, I mean, Sam, Samuel sees him and says, surely the hand of the Lord is on him. And God said, no, I refused him. I refused him. You're looking on the outside. I'm looking at the heart. In other words, I'm seeing the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. And so then he went to the next son, Abinadab, and then the next son, Shammah, and all the way down the line, and God said, nope, 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 nope. And if, then he said, uh, are all your sons here, Jesse? Now look at this, verse 11. Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. I guess he points out the window out in the field. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Everybody say, this is the one. This is the one. You thought that was the one, but this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Wow. Father, thank you for these next few minutes with this great people, this great church. And I thank you, Lord, for your blessing now upon your word, that it will do what you've designed it to do, to bring life to those who find it and health to all of their flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Interesting thing happened here. Dad, Father Jesse, apparently didn't think that his youngest son, David, bore any significance to this event. So he didn't even call him in. Now, I don't know what all David's upbringing was like, but there are some hints in Scripture that there were some strained relationships in the household. He talked about being born or conceived in sin. I don't know if that means he had a different mother than his brothers. 
He also talked about how he was made a mockery of amongst his brothers at one point. You can read this in the book of Psalms. And so we just know that there were some problems in the house and dad overlooks David for this huge event. Doesn't even call him in with, to be with his other brothers, thinking there's no way. I mean, he's number eight. We've got one in seven chance before we get to David. Right? I mean, surely one of these guys is going to... No, no, dad overlooks him. Now, I want to just begin to get you thinking down a certain path for just a moment. That this is the first of many very possible crippling issues in David's life. This could potentially, eventually take David down. If he lets it get into his life, if he, if he begins to identify with this moment right here and begins to take on a victim kind of mentality, then he's going to walk down a path that leads him into weakness, into failure, into repeating the same stuff over and over again. So he's got an opportunity. That's all we know is that dad overlooks him. Now let's go to the very next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Is it okay if I build on something for just a second? Is it okay if we read some scripture? Yeah. I, I don't think I'll do you any justice if I don't. As my dad says, is it too much to ask that the preacher will have at least studied the Bible before he stands and preaches? Yeah. 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and said, Why did you come down here? Now let me just set this up for just a moment. The Philistine army are one of the formidable foes of Israel, and they have come to fight with Israel. So they are all in battle array, and they're set to, at war against one another. Well, Dad, Jesse has sent those three oldest sons to battle. And so one day he says, David, I want you to go take this bread and cheese to uh, your brothers and give me a report of how things go on. So David shows up there and all of a sudden, as he's there bringing the food to his brothers and getting a report of what's going on, all of a sudden he hears this, send me a man that I may fight with him. For I defy the armies of Israel. And David looks over and sees this mammoth of a man by the name of Goliath, who is a champion from youth. The scripture describes him as being nine and a half feet tall. And he's heavily armed. A javelin, a spear, a sword, a little armor bearer that went out before him just bearing his shield. He talked about how heavy the coat of mail was he wore. And he wore a big bronze helmet and, and, and how heavy the spear's head was even on the spear. I mean, it, this guy was just enormous. And so this is day 40 of his challenge. Now, day 40... He's been doing this. What he did was he walked out and said, we're not going to fight like we usually do. We're going to go one-on-one, hand-to-hand combat. If I prevail over your guy, your nation will serve our nation. <laughs> if he beats me, <laughs> hang on, let me laugh for a second. Uh, if he beats me, then we'll serve you. And every day he came out and no one, no one took him up on his challenge. Not even the king of Israel himself saw how many of you know that every one of them, any one of them, could have beat Goliath? Yeah. It's true. Because they had this little advantage called God on their side. That's right. But along the way, they were looking things, they were looking at the smaller picture, not the bigger picture. They were looking at the thing with the physical eyes, thinking about the physical comparison. Huh? 
thinking about how daunting this task would be to take on this great giant. And so they just let him talk every day. And the more they let him talk, the more convinced they became of him over their God. Day 40, David shows up and sees this happen. And then he heard someone say, hey, did you know what happens to the guy who beats the giant? He gets the king's daughter, he gets riches, and his family's tax-free forever. And then David said, say that again. (laughs) And as he's inquiring the second time, then Eliab shows up here. Heard when he spoke, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Wow. In other words, what we're doing is important. What you're doing isn't. I know your pride and your insolence of heart. Wait, it sounds like Eliab's got the pride and the insolence of heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And look what David says. David said, what have I done now? You can almost like, it's always something with you guys, isn't it? What have I done now? Is there not a cause? So oldest brother Eliab, what's the oldest brother supposed to do for his youngest brother? Isn't he supposed to protect him and look out for him? And instead, he's shaming him in front of all these men, mocking his, own, his little brother. Now, if he was a, a good older brother, he would have pulled him aside yeah. hmm? and said, hey, man, maybe had that conversation. But he lashes out at David out of anger because I personally believe Eliab's got some issues. Yeah. One is he got passed over by the prophet. Yeah. And he saw him pour that oil on his little brother. And I think some envy got in his heart that day. Can we move on? David is overlooked by his father on the, the day he's anointed. He's shamed by his oldest brother in front of everyone. Let's look at another place here. He, he comes into good graces with King Saul because the scripture says that when the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul because it rejected him, an evil spirit was sent to vex him. So they needed a musician, somebody that could play skillfully on an instrument to help soothe Saul during this time. And he got wind of this young boy, the shepherd boy named David. David would come and he'd play that harp. And as he would play that harp, that spirit would leave Saul. But Saul's watching this young man He's watching this young man day in and day out. And he knows that God's hand is upon his life. And every once in a while, anger and jealousy and envy would overcome him. Two different times, Saul tried to pin David to the wall with his own spear. And David was able to escape. It's interesting that even David found an ally in Saul's son, Jonathan. A very, very good friend of his. Saul even wanted Jonathan to kill David. And and Jonathan wouldn't have anything to do with it. As time goes by, David finds himself now just trying to live, just trying to survive because Saul is on a hunt against him. He's formed this band of 3,000 men, goes on this expedition to take David out once for all. David has done nothing but honor his king. He's always been good to his king, and and this is what Saul does. So David David and his men, he's got 600 men with him, and they're they're just hiding off in the mountains, out in caves, just like savages, just to try to escape Saul. One day, they're up in this, the caves of this mountain, and Saul's men are right there on them, and Saul says, pardon me, bathroom break. And he goes up in the cave to, as the King James says, to tend to his business. 
And as Saul's in that cave doing his business, back in the shadows, a little deeper in that hole, are David and his men. And his guys tell him, David, look what God has done for you. Go take his head from him right now so we can stop running. So David grabs a knife and he crawls up there behind Saul. And he grabs a hold of the bottom of his robe and he rips off a piece of that robe and he sneaks back off into the darkness. And the scripture says when he did it, his heart struck him on the inside. And he said, what have I done? Far be it for me to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. How many of you say David's got some integrity going on, huh? David's a good man. He rightfully could have taken this guy's head off. I mean, after all, he's the real anointed king of Israel now. And so Saul finishes up and he walks out of the mouth of the cave and I'm sure a ways off and finally David comes up out of that cave holding that cloth and he says, King Saul, you understand today that I'm really actually on your side? I could have killed you. God put you in my hands and everybody that's with me told me I should kill you, but I wouldn't do it. Because I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. Can't you see that I don't have any evil in my heart against you? And Saul says, David, is that you? And he says, yes, it's me. And he says, I'm so sorry. And he repents. So you think it's over, but it's not. Saul goes home. Some time goes by. And then one of his men comes to him. Hey, I heard that David and his men are down here. And Saul's like, let's go get them. Like he just forgot. Grabs his 3,000 men and they go on hunt again. Well, while they're on the hunt, night falls and they all they all bed down for the night in this little valley. And Saul is sleeping in this ravine, and his number one uh, bodyguard, the captain of the secret service, by the name of Abner, is sleeping right next to him. And then outside of that, men slept. So Saul's right in the center of all this. He's well protected. David and his men are looking down this, over this ridge down, in there, down there, and he says, uh, Abishai, come with me. And so they make their way, and they're sneaking over, sleeping men, and they make their way all the way to the center. There's Saul laying there. And Abishai says, okay, I get that you're so full of integrity. Okay, but I, I don't have that much integrity. Let me kill this man. He says, I will strike him so hard that I will only have to do it one time. He'll never get up. And David said, no, 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 no. But grab his jug of water and grab his spear. So they grab it and they... They get out of there. And the scripture says that nobody woke up because the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on them. So they made their way back up the ridge. And then David says, Hey, Abner, almighty warrior, where were you tonight? While you slept, your king almost died. You should actually die for this. See this spear? See this jug of water? We had him again. Here's Saul. David, is that you? Yes, it's me. I'm so sorry. I repent. So David figures something out. Saul doesn't have any integrity. And Saul is not a man of his word. Let's go to chapter 27, verse 1. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. Ooh. You know, you're desperate as an Israelite. If you're only, your only chance of survival is to live with the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. Saul, so I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of... 
Why is Gath important here? You remember where Goliath is from, don't you? Goliath of Gath. He shows up at Goliath's hometown, the royal city of Gath. Wow. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. I thought, okay, never mind, he's joined the Philistines. Then David said to Achish, if I have not found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there, for why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag. Everybody say Ziklag. That day, therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Verse 7, now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. Don't you know, that's a long year and four months. I know he's got to continually be thinking about that day that, the Sam, that Samuel the prophet poured that oil in his head. And he's thinking, I'm about as far away from that as I could possibly be. And you can read on this chapter and see how David and his men would go raid Long-time enemies of, of Israel, especially enemies of old uh, uh, a band of people called the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were a nasty people, all right? They would come in, and they would kill everybody. They would wipe everybody. As a matter of fact, they attacked uh, Israel one time and took out all their elderly and all their sick people. These guys had no scruples when it came to warfare. And so they were awful. And so David and his men, they would go on these raids during this time because they were warriors and they were used to getting the spoils and bringing them for the, to the kingdom there. And so they would go on these raids. They would raid the Amalekites and some other different foes of Israel. But then when King Achish would ask him, where did you go raid today? David would say, oh, we went to the southern part of Judah uh, over here. And he, he would make him think that he was actually attacking Israel in different spots. Yeah. In other words, he's flat out lying. Because he doesn't have any loyalties with this king. And so the king's like, oh man, David's my man. Yeah. Look at chapter 28, verse 1. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. Oh boy. And Achish said to David, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. I love what David says. So David says to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. See, he's thinking, Achish is thinking one thing, and David's thinking something else. Yeah. And Achish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Oh, now the opportunity has come. Now maybe David could win Saul's heart. Maybe when he gets out there in battle... And, 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 they, and he sees that, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And he sees David and his men on the other side taking out Philistines and they completely uh, 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 collapse the flank together and take them all out. And then maybe Saul will go, David, I'm, yes, come back. I, I, I recognize that you're the king of Israel. Maybe this is an opportunity for that. So the Philistine lords or the princes of, they're, they're walking through and they're numbering their men. They've got them in groups of hundreds and thousands. And they're, so they're putting their battle strategy together. And here they come to the very end of the line. And there's King Achish and there's David and his men. They said, uh, what are those Hebrews doing here? And King Achish said, oh, guys, this is our secret weapon. Just wait till you see. Watch what David, David's my man. He's loyal to me. And they said, no, he's not. No, he's not. Don't you remember history? Guys, don't you remember that song? It was the number one download down to, on, on iTunes. And, and it went like this. Saul has slain his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. I mean, I don't know how else they knew the lyrics except through iTunes, I guess. I don't know. 
The Philistines knew the lyrics to this song. And they said, he's not going. And so Achish was grieved about it. And he turns to David and says, you can't go. And David says, oh, man. There are 60 miles. They're in a town called Aphek. They're 60 miles from their town of Ziklag. Now they got to head home. How many of you get tired after six miles? Six yards. 60 miles. Three days it takes them to get back to Ziklag. All right? So David has been overlooked by his father. He's been shamed by his brother. He's been hunted down like a dog by his king. And even his enemies don't want anything to do with him. Can you see some potential issues in his life? Because here's the thing about David. So far, he's done nothing wrong. So far, he's kept his integrity. So far, he's continued to do the right thing. And yet he finds himself losing again and again and again and again and again. Okay, finally, we'll just go home then. We'll go, we'll go back to Ziklag. Let's look at chapter 30, verse 1. This is going to be our... Right now, we're circling the airport, all right? <laughs> now, it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. It took them three days to get home. That the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag. Okay, so the Amalekites now said, okay, this is our chance to get a little revenge. Attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. <clears throat> verse 2. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, which that's a miracle in and of itself, but carried them away and went their way. Verse 3, so David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Man. Verse 4, then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. 60, 60 miles, three days of walking back home, just ready to fall in the arms of their wives and to kiss their children, only to find that their city's been burned and nobody's home. So what they do? They threw a nice big pity party. And they all began to weep. Rightfully so. It says until they had no more power to weep. A few years earlier, David was in this place called the Cave of Adullam. And it says that these people came to him. His mother and brothers were some of them. And some other men, they came to him there because they were people who were in debt, who were discontented, and who were distressed. And the scripture says that David became the captain over all of them. And he began to train these men for war. He made warriors out of weaklings. And when he came out of that cave with those men, he had a mighty force. These are those guys. Now watch this, verse 5. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelites, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Okay, it's bad that dad's not paying attention to you and that your, your brothers don't care for you and that your king wants to kill you and even your enemies don't want to fight with you. And now your brothers in arms, I mean, if you're going to be tight with anybody, these are the guys you're going to be tight with. Hmm? The guys you're in the trenches with, the guys that you're fighting back to back with. And now they have become so distressed. How many of you know it's, 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 it's really important thing to note that when you are emotionally distressed, not to make important decisions. <laughs> huh? So what do they speak of? Now they start playing the blame game. Wait a second, whose fault is this? And all of them point at David. It's your fault. 
You know what, David? Since you took us out of that cave, you've taken us into rejection, loss, running for our lives, loss, and now we've lost the ultimate. Our wives, our children, and our homes are on fire. I think what I'd just kill him. And as they're speaking that way, David becomes greatly distressed. Now I want you to notice nobody did throw a stone. <laughs> they're not that stupid. But if I, let's put ourselves in David's shoes for just a moment. If anybody has a right at this moment in their life to collapse under the pressure, I think I'm going to feel for David in this moment. David, I get it. You want to throw yourself a pity party? I'll even show up at that pity party. Because I think you've been dealt the wrong hand every time. You've done nothing but the right thing. He could have just said, okay, that's it. Throw the stones, please. Please kill me. Because this is not paid off for me. Everybody that is supposed to love me, supposed to look out for me, has abandoned me. And this is what it's brought me. Total isolation. This is the lot of my life. And so he could have taken all those issues and begun to arm himself with excuse after excuse of why he's quitting, why he's done with it, why he is the way he is, why he just says whatever's on his mind, why he walks around with a funky attitude. Hmm? Why he gets on social media? Huh? I mean, if anybody you would think had the right to do this. But David doesn't do that. Because with all of those opportunities, that doorway is wide open, the bait is laid, and the trap is set. With that opportunity, with that doorway wide open, he could walk through it, and that's it. He's a victim for the rest of his life. But thank God, there was another doorway. There was another opportunity right there. Something else. There was another reality. My family, there was a bigger picture to look at. And this is it. Look at this. Every man for his sons and daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He couldn't depend on these guys to strengthen him. He couldn't depend on them to go, David, it's going to be okay. No, they're ticked off at him. Their wives and kids are gone. They want to kill him. He can't look for anybody else. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, what does that look like? What does that look like? If it were a movie, I would imagine all of a sudden you hear, dun, 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 dun. I don't know what. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Rising up. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. I think that David started thinking. Hang on a second. Wait a second. Dad overlooked me. But on that day that dad overlooked me, God anointed me. Wait, wait, God was there. My dad wasn't there, but God was there. And, and when Eliab shamed me in front of all those guys and should have protected me, but he didn't, God was there because he used me that day to take a sling and a stone and kill that heavily armed giant. Wait, God was there. And God brought a victory for our whole nation. Wait a second, when, when Saul was after me, how did I not say? He was after me, and God would make sure that he knew that he was 
with me that I knew that he was with me because he would put him right there before me. I could have easily killed him. Wait a second, God was there. In every rejection, in every terrible moment in my life, I see God was there, God was there, God was there. God, I'm in another terrible moment. This is your opportunity. This is your moment. This is beyond us. But every time it's been beyond me, God, it's been my worst moments in my life. You've always shown yourself strong on my behalf. And I will not walk through the victim's doorway. I will not fall down and die. I will not give up because my God has never given up on me. So the scripture says, he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. How did he do that? He said, grab the ephod. You know what ephod is? The ephod was something that the high priest wore over his heart. And it was this cloth with all these specific fabrics woven together like uh, royal purple and red and scarlet red and, and gold. They were all woven together. And in this thing, it was like a square and it had <clears throat> three rows of, uh, four rows of three names. All right? Or, uh, three rocks, I should say. Rocks, 12 stones sewn into the fabric. And on each of those stones was written a name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was engraved in there. Um, if you see a picture, like hold up your phone for a moment where your apps are just showing, where it just shows like a picture of your apps. Like a full page, yeah. Uh, you don't have very many apps. There we go. That, it kind of looks like an ephod, to be honest with you. I think it was the, first, the, the original design to the iPad or the smartphone because it had these stones all across like this, wow. all right? And what's interesting about that ephod was is that they, it's, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Whose is that? They would inquire of the Lord through this ephod. At, at, behind that, behind these stones, were, was, there was a pocket back here, and there were two other stones put in called the Urim and the Tumim, all right? Which means lights and perfections. So they would put them in there, in behind there, and then they would inquire of the Lord to speak to them, whether they needed to go to battle or whatever it might be. And when they would speak, these lights and perfections would begin to light up through the names of the children of Israel, through the letters, and God would literally spell out for them what his answer was to them. Wow. So as they're looking at the letters lighted up, they're writing it out. So this is what God says. So David says, bring me the ephod. So I bring the ephod and he begins to seek God through this system, through this way. And God says, let's look at verse 7. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, bring ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. Now watch, verse 8. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Woo. Ooh, what good news is that in that moment right there? You shall get them back, and you're going to recover all of them, buddy. So David says, thank you. Don't you know that strength came back into them? Wind came back into their sails again. And here they take off. Now they're heading towards where the Amalekites are. Now at this point, they don't really know where they are. But they're probably following some kind of trail out of there. And as they're heading out, they come up on this, they come out in this field and come across this uh, Egyptian. Let's look at this for a moment. Are you all right? 
Let's look at uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tell somebody there's an opportunity for you. Huh? There's another doorway. Hmm? There's a higher way. There's something else to remember in your trouble. Amen. Don't ever think that just because you've lost that it's impossible to recover. Don't be too quick to chalk it up as, well, you win some and you lose some. No, 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 no. God gives you the victory. He gives you the victory. He gives you the victory. You're on the winning team, not on the losing team. What does the scripture say? If God be for you? Yeah. You know what it really says? If God's for you, it don't matter who's against you. Huh? Then David, okay, 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 okay. Oh, I've got to, I have to do all, skip over all this stuff. It's really good stuff. <laughs> Verse 9. So David went, and he and 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where, they, <clears throat> where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. Now think about it. He just lost a third of his guys. They're so weary from this journey and from this... From their sadness, their grief, they said, we can't go anymore because they be sore at the brook be sore. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Now, listen, this could be a potential distraction right here. David had a word from God, right? But so far, they go and all of a sudden, a third of his men can't go with him anymore. This could be a distraction thing. Well, maybe this isn't the will of God. Sometimes his answer is no. Sometimes his answer is slow. Sometimes his answer is grow. Okay, shut up. This could, this could have been seriously a problem. So, but David, listen to me. He's got his eyes full of this promise at this moment. And he's more convinced of that than having fewer men. Verse 11. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of uh, a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had not eaten no bread. He'd eaten no bread, nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Okay, quick question. Why are you doing this, David? You have wives and children that are kidnapped. You have men who are with you, wives and children, and you take your time to be a nurse to a foreigner out in some field? Why are you doing this? Forget about him. What is he compared to what you're about to get? Why? Why be distracted with this? Don't you know that? Can't you feel the urgency, David? <laughs> okay, give him some water. Uh, you know, we got any grapes? Give him some grapes. All right, let's see if he'll come around. David, our families! Hang on. All right, looks like he's coming too. What's going on here? Why is David doing this? Where does it say this Egyptian was? He was in the field. Where was David when Samuel showed up? He was in the field. See, David knows not to overlook the kid in the field. He was one. And there's something about the person in the field that could possibly help them. 
there might be information they need from this stranger in the field who anybody else would pass by. Even his own master didn't care enough about him to take care of him. Why should David? Because David knows about what it's like to be the one in the field. Never get caught up in just your own loss or your own recovery of loss, my family. There will be others along the way who have suffered loss. Help them and reach out to them. There are possibilities for the one in the field. God knows exactly where you are today, and He knows exactly who you are. You might feel that what you do or where you are doesn't bear much significance or even means that much. But God is no respecter of persons. He loves you like He loves anybody else. He has not overlooked you. He loves, he loves you where you are. Won't you say that? He loves me where I am. He loves me where I am. All right? Though God has great plans for you, don't get caught up in this religious idea that God is always way down there and you're somewhere trying to catch up. Just trying to be in the will of God. No, He's with you where you are right now. He knows where you are and He's with you where you are. Wow, you being where you are, let me say this, could be the very reason someone finds what they've been looking for. As a child of God, as one that's anointed by God, look at the bigger picture. So it's not really about a geographical location. It's about you understanding who you are and really, more importantly, whose you are. Let's finish this up. Then David said to him, verse 13, To whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. Oh, ding, 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 ding. And my master left me behind three days ago. I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the, ter in the territory, territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my masters and I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Man, this Egyptian slave has just paid off. That moment that seemed to be a distraction. Why in God's name are you doing this? Now it's paid off big for these guys. Now they've got intel for the war. And he takes them exactly where they need to go. Wow, what a great time for an attack too. They're spread out all over so they're not banded together. They're drunk. They're dancing. They're partying. These guys are in for it now. Hmm? Oh, man. And when God trains your hands for war as David said God did... Ain't no match. Hmm? Not to mention these guys have, you know, been up all night, I'm sure. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Verse 17. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels in the field. What? 400 on, a cam on camels? Doesn't that seem like something? Well, it... The reason it says that is that you have to conclude that 400 guys escaping isn't a big deal compared to how many there actually were. Wow. Yeah. If 400 is nothing, how many guys did David have here? 400. 
So he's showing us that God can do very much with very little. Four hundred guys on the devil's side running off ain't nothing. Four hundred men on God's side? Oh, that's big. Amen. Huh? Say this with me. There's nothing in the world two people can't do as long as one of them is God and the other one is you. Woo! Let's look at this. I'm almost done. David recovered. Look at uh, verse uh, 18. So David recovered what, how much? Oh, the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Let me tell you something today. Jesus has so delivered you from the power of sin and Satan that you are constantly in full recovery mode. And he has given you an inheritance. He seated you in heavenly places and blessed you with every spiritual blessing so that whatever you may be lacking in the moment has no chance because you are on your way to full recovery all the time. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things are gone and the new things have come. So be looking for that new thing. Be looking for that new thing. Okay, this is just a moment, but there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger reality that I know. And let me say this to you. The only way that you're going to know that reality to become flesh in your life, to see it manifest, is that you've got to believe God for it. Amen. Faith is the victory. Amen. Faith is the victory. Yes. Faith is the victory. Amen. You just got to believe Him. Because Jesus has done everything. It cost Him His life for you to have it. He became sin so that you could become righteousness. He became a curse so that you could become blessed. He became wounded so that you could become healed. He became poor so that you could become rich. He became forsaken so that you could become forgiven. He became the Son of Man so that we could become sons of God. Hallelujah. You are in full recovery, mother. The scripture says that you are now complete in him. That is, you have everything you need. Yeah. David said like this, the Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. And that's all I need. God is so good. Amen. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know. Maybe you're in a struggle today. Maybe you're lacking something. Maybe you've had something taken from you. You've lost something. And you're in need. You're in trouble, maybe. I have some good news for you. Scripture says that the Lord is a very present help in time of trouble. That's just his specialty. Your trouble is just his specialty. Let me say something about your trouble. It has a big weakness to it. Yeah. It's temporary. Yes. Thank you. It's temporary. This is not the final end. Amen. No, God is, able, God is able to make all grace abound to you. Yeah. That you having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. And he can turn everything around for good. To those who love him. This is just his specialty. Now maybe you've, you've said these words. And allowed this kind of doubt and unbelief.
could come out of your own mouth by saying, there's just no way. Maybe you've said that or you've heard people say that. There's just no way. There's no way. There's no way. Let me remind you today. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. For you to say there's no way, then what you're really saying is there is no Jesus for me in this situation. But as long as Jesus Christ is the way, there is always a way. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. He sees ways you don't see, and he knows ways you don't know. And he says, my ways are higher, my thoughts are higher, and he's revealed those things to us by his Spirit. Praise God. And he's on your side, and he longs to show himself strong on your behalf. Today, I want to encourage you, strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. Don't let this thing dominate your life. Don't let issues, hurts, rejections define who you are. You strengthen yourself in the Lord your God and say, God, I'm closing the door to that victim mentality. I'm not going the way of the weak. I'm not going the way of those who give up. I'm taking this way where you lead me to victory no matter what. So put it in his hands. Give it over to Him. Just right now, just right now, just whatever that might be in your life, just release that to Him. You might need to forgive somebody that you thought you could never forgive. You can do it. You can do it. He's empowered you because He's forgiven you of all your sins. So because you have received His forgiveness, then you have the power to forgive yourself. You can't give away what you haven't received. If you've received forgiveness for your sins, then it's only right, right, to forgive others. That's what you have to give. You don't have, you don't have the, 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 the privilege, I say privilege, of, of holding grudges. You don't get to do that, Christian. Huh? You don't, you don't get that. You don't get to, that's not your life. That's not who you are. So release them right now. Those who have hurt you, just say, Lord, I release them. I forgive them in Jesus' name. Hmm? Thank you, Lord, that you are provided. Those, there are those of you who have financial needs. You, uh, yeah. Yeah, you got more month than money, and you need help financially. The Lord will provide your needs according to His riches and glory. He shall supply. See, there's always an answer from Him. There's always a way. Maybe you're sick in your body. That's a, hey, listen to me. That's not the end. That's not the end. Sickness is not His will. It's not His way. By His stripes, you are healed. Whatever it is you have need of, maybe you've got a, a relationship that's strained. Uh, you need help. You know, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's, it's, you've got a child that's astray. Whatever it might be. He is there to restore everything. That you recover all. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for, for just moving on hearts and lives today. Thank you for your word that you've brought to us. Thank you, Father God, for meeting needs, Lord. How you love this people. And how you long to show yourself strong on their behalf. And I thank you right now that every tongue that rises against them in judgment, they shall condemn. I declare that no weapon formed against them will prosper. All of their children <clears throat> all of their children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace. Thank you, Lord. I declare everybody in this place in full recovery mode now. Because you sent your word and you healed them and you delivered them from their destructions. I thank you, Father God, that they're coming up out of darkness, coming up out of lack in Jesus' name, out of sickness, out of depression, out of, out of hurt and anger, out of all that stuff and rising in newness of life today in Jesus' name. Thank you right now. We believe that it's done because Jesus said it is finished in Jesus' mighty name.